0: When I was in high school, or secondary school, uh, I went to school in the States, so it was high school there. Here, I think it's secondary school, which which high school, you do both, even though they say secondary school on it. Okay. See, I'm still learning all that stuff, you know, like these little, little differences. Uh, But one of the things, uh, one of the courses I had to have to graduate was I had to have a fine arts credit, okay? Um, Now, I am not a fine artist, um, of any sort. Uh, so, I had some options that I could choose from. I could um, take band, uh, which I, I was in the band in middle school, and it was so bad that in the middle of our big concert, um, I played something wrong, and it was so bad that the, the director stopped the whole band Turned around to the audience and said, I'm sorry, uh, that was messed up so bad that we cannot continue and we have to start over. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it was. Uh, so, in high school, I decided probably continuing in the band route was not for me. Um, and so that one was out. Uh, Another option I had was Chorus, um, which any of you who have heard me sing um, know that that is not a good idea. Um, And so that one was out. Uh, So then uh, I could take, well, just art, right? So just, you know, painting, coloring, drawing, that kind of stuff. Um, All right. Our, our three-year-old son is about to surpass me in that area um, already. Um, it's it's a challenge for me to color within the lines sometimes. Um, you know, I just I start drawing and then my mind goes somewhere and then the line just goes somewhere else and it just it just doesn't work. So then I had one option left and that was theater um, and I could take drama and I was like, okay, I can do that. Um, and so I took a theater class. Really enjoyed it. It was fun. Uh, we got to you know, do little plays and that kind of thing, and uh, my favorite part was actually when we would uh, do like ad-lib games, so kind of like the show Whose Line Is It Anyway, Um, where we would just kind of make up stuff as we go. I love that part because I didn't have to memorize anything, um, right, and so I could just get up there and start talking and make something up, Uh, and so um, so that was, I, I found that class to be very fun, and I think there, there's something fun about um, acting, about uh, theater. Uh, I think most of us uh, probably would agree with that. Um, but the truth is, is that a lot, a lot of times um, we want to be an actor in our regular life. That we want to um, play a role, we want to put on a front, we want to be a character um, when that's not the real reality, Right? So we have this front that we want to put on in front of people um, instead of letting them see who we really are and what's really going on. Um, and that's uh, where, where we're coming to uh, today in, our, in the Scripture where Jesus is confronting um, some of that acting. Um, some of that uh, becoming another personality, putting on an exterior front. Uh, we're picking back up in Luke. We took a little break for Christmas, um, but we're back in Luke. Uh, we're in Luke chapter 12, and this is what we do here at Potter's House as we work through the Bible. Um, and so uh, when we get to some of the hard passages, I don't have the luxury of skipping over them. Uh, part of today's passage will be one of those places um, where uh, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, but uh You'll see when we get there, you're like, hmm, that's, yeah, that's harder to to deal with, maybe. Um, But Luke chapter 12, I'm going to start with verses 1 through 5. And in the meantime, when so many uh, thousands of people had gathered together. Okay, so what what had just happened, a little review from where we were in chapter 11. um, Jesus has been teaching, and uh, he comes to the point where he straight on confronts uh, the Pharisees and the scribes, and he calls them out, um, and he says, hey, woe to you because you're messed up, right? So that's, that's the Wayne abbreviated version um, of what we covered for like five weeks in Luke. Um, you're messed up. You need help, all right? Um, and so Jesus has just got done doing that. And so in the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. All right, so there's this multitude, multitude of people, thousands of people trampling on each other, and we have, there's differences of opinion on why this multitude was there. You know, some think that it's like, oh, well, you know, the other times where we see big masses of people around Jesus, they wanted to come see the miracles, they wanted to hear him teach, that kind of thing. Um, Others think um, that because he has just stirred the pot so much with calling out all the Pharisees and the scribes, that they've got all of their followers there. And so this trampling on might have been a really kind of a mob kind of situation where Jesus' followers and the Pharisees and scribes' followers are literally trampling on each other and arguing. And All right, so you get, you get this kind of setting um, on what's going on here. It's, it's kind of a, a, a powder keg kind of such situation. And so Jesus is turning to his followers, and he's warning them. He's saying, hey, watch out for something. Watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees which is hypocrisy. And the word hypocrisy comes from the word hypocrite. Hypocrite comes straight from the Greek word, um, and originally that Greek word meant actor. And so an actor was someone who put on a face, who put on a role, who acted like someone else. And Jesus is saying this is the problem with the Pharisees, is they're full of this hypocrisy. They're full of acting And they acted the role. They seemed like they were very spiritual people. They seemed very religious. They seemed like they had this whole thing with God all figured out. But Jesus knew that it was just a sham. It was just a shell. It was just something that they were putting on in front of everybody. It's really important, too, um, to see the terminology that he uses there. The leaven of the Pharisees. Or another way of saying that is the yeast of the Pharisees. What Jesus is saying is saying that hypocrisy, when you let it into your life, when that becomes a part of you, you know what it does? It grows, it expands. In a culture where people bake their own bread, everybody would understand this. Some of you in this room bake your own bread, you understand this. You put the yeast in, it's going to grow, it's going to expand, it's going to get bigger, it's going to keep growing. You don't have any yeast, what do you have? Flatbread. That's where they get the name flatbread from. (laughs) See, learning things this morning, all right? And Jesus is saying, hey, if you have this kind of hypocrisy in your life, even just a little bit, it's going to grow. It's going to expand. If you're trying to put on a face, trying to put on an act, and make everybody think you've got it all together... And that's going to lead to one thing after another where it's just you putting on a show and being something that you're not. Because one of the biggest parts of hypocrisy is lies. And one thing that that my mom always told me was, you know, the easiest thing to do is just tell the truth because then you don't have to remember all the lies. Because when you lie, then that means that you have to remember that lie and then you have to add another lie onto that lie to cover that lie. And then you cover that lie with another lie and it's a snowball effect. It's the yeast that grows and expands. And it's hypocrisy. And that's what it all leads to. And so you have this powder keg situation where um, some of the people are following the Pharisees, and they're upset because Jesus just called them out. Some of the people are following the scribes. They're upset. Jesus just called them out. And then some of the people are actually following Jesus, and they're like, Hey, Jesus, what do we do about this? And he says, Hey, don't be like them. Don't be like them. Don't, don't give in to trying to please the crowd, to trying to look like what they want you to look like, because that's what they're all about. It's trying to have the right face and put on the right front, and that's not what it's all about. Because when, you're, when you do that, what you're doing is what he says in verse 4. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who can kill the body. We're hypocrites because we want to please others. We care about what they think. Another way of saying that is we fear them. We fear their opinion. We fear what they think about us. Some Christians in the world today do literally have to fear whether they will take their life. Um, Derek, one of our elders, does an excellent job when he prays of reminding us to pray for those Christians who are in those places where they are persecuted, where they do suffer. That is something we should remember, but this passage should be a great exhortation to them and to us to do not fear those people. What's the worst they can do? They kill you. If you're a Christian, you're like, well, that means I get to go be with Jesus. That means I get to leave this life and all of its problems behind. That's really not that bad of a deal, In fact, Scripture talks about special honor and privileges for those who die as martyrs. So many Christians throughout history have considered it an honor and a privilege to be counted worthy to die for Christ. And Jesus says here, do not fear those people, that all they can do, the worst they got, the best thing throw at you is taking your life. Which most of us don't face that. Right? like I don't think anybody is going to get up in your face and literally try to take your life because you say you're a follower of Christ. But they might think bad of you. You might get overlooked for a promotion. You might lose a friendship. You might have a tough situation in a family. Anybody have some awkward situations over the holidays with family? And so we have those challenges before us. And the temptation is, is just to blend in. Say so we, don't, we don't want to ruffle any feathers, right? We just, want to, we just want to not do anything that will mess anything up. And there's a certain degree that that's a good thing. There's also a degree to which Jesus says, follow me. Stand up for the truth. Say what I've told you to say be a witness for me. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't say one thing and live another way. Don't put on the show. He says in verse 5, but I warn you whom to fear. Fear him whom whom after he has killed has the authority to cast into hell. And we read that and we say, "Well, well, who is that? Who is it that and kill and then cast into hell. And kind of the the thought would be to go to well, maybe that's Satan, right? Because Satan's bad, he has to do with hell somehow, so maybe that's who he's talking about there. But scripture tells us that actually Satan has no authority whatsoever over who goes to hell. Satan, in fact, is condemned to go there himself. He's not the Lord over hell. He's the number one inmate. And his goal is to get as many people as possible to go with him. Because misery loves company. And that's his goal. But he doesn't have the authority to make that happen. And so, who is it that Jesus is telling us to fear here? There's only one. There's only one who has the authority to both take life and execute judgment. And that is God the Father. He is all powerful, He is sovereign has complete control he knows the number of our days he knows exactly how long you will live he knows exactly how you will die he has authority over that and he has the ability to take life and to give life and he is the one that's in control and it's based on that authority that we should fear him you're like, wait a second, fear God? That doesn't sound very New Testament. That sounds very Old Testament, right? Like that was, the Old Testament was all about a scary, fearful God, and the New Testament is all about love. And I like to love God. I don't like the fear God. Well, the truth is it's the same God. You don't get to pick and choose. He's a package deal. And Jesus here is saying you need to have a healthy fear of God. We need that in our life. We need to have a healthy reverence for God, a respect of Him, a fear of Him. Not like a, ooh, I'm trembling in my boots and I can't get out of my house because I'm so scared that God's going to smite me. But a reverence, a reverence that says, I respect you, God, and I respect um, your authority, I respect your power, and I want to live to please you not the people around me, not the crowd, not the masses, because you know the reality. You know the truth of who I am. You know my inmost being. And so I know as much as I might want to be the actor and put on the show and be a hypocrite, you know the reality. And so the question is, is do we fear God or do we fear man? And we say, well, that, you know, that's easy. Whatever. I fear God. Yep. Really? And the way you act, the things you do, do your actions reflect a reverence for God or reverence for man? Maybe another way of saying this is whose opinion do you care more about? Do you care more about God's opinion of you or about your neighbor's opinion of you? Which is it? And the good thing is, is that God is that full package deal. The God that we fear, but the God who loves us. And that's where Jesus goes to next. Verse 6, he goes on. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Jesus is saying, hey, this God who you should hold in extreme reverence and fear because he has ultimate power, he cares so much about you. He cares about the little worthless bird, right? I mean, how many of you have ever heard, you know what I I want for Christmas is I want a sparrow. If I can just have a sparrow, my life will be complete. Well, no. When, you know, the sparrow is kind of considered like, what's that good for? And Jesus is even saying here, it's like, it's pennies. It's worth pennies, it's nothing. And yet God cares about that sparrow, and He cares about you even more, and He loves you even more, even to the point where He knows the number of hairs on your head. For some of us, that's a more impressive feat than for others. But the truth remains that your creator cares that much about you. That he knows the most intricate details about your life. And he loves you. And he cares about you. And you are far more valuable to him than a little bird. And he cares about that bird too. And so this is really good news for us, because we have a God who knows us and cares about us. That's who He is. So yeah, He's the all-powerful one. He is almighty. He has complete authority. And in that complete authority, He chooses to love us and care about us and know us intimately, knowing the, the most minute details about our life. Jesus goes on and he says, "And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God." Wow. That's getting to that, that death part and that judgment part. And what's next? And if you're one who acknowledges Jesus before men, that means you're not trying to please the masses, you're not trying to please the crowd but you're standing for Christ and who He is, and you say, He is Lord. He is my Savior. He is the one who came and gave His life for me so that I could be forgiven. He died on a cross paying the punishment for sin so that I could be forgiven. He, pay- he paid for my sin, and I know that is true because He rose again defeating death and defeating sin. If you stand up and you proclaim that, then God says, Jesus says right here, then you know what I'm going to do? When it comes to your time to be judged, when you stand before God, I'm going to give witness for you. I'm going to stand up for you. I want to ask you what better lawyer could you have in that place, in that time, than Jesus Christ Himself? There's no better situation you could be in. No better. And Jesus promises those of us who are faithful to him and acknowledge him and make him famous and make our lives about him that he is going to be all about us in return. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. That doesn't sound so good. That's not where I want to be. That goes back to that God having authority to cast into hell that we just talked about. And it's really that black and white. There's heaven, hell. Reward with God for eternity, eternal punishment. That's not popular to say today because we like the gray, right? And we don't like to think about anybody that we love or care about going to the other option, We don't like to think about even maybe that might be us standing before judgment and being judged guilty. That's the reality. That's the truth. We can try to act like it's not. We can be the hypocrite. But that doesn't change the reality. And the reality is is that forgiveness is found in Jesus. And we need that forgiveness. Because the scriptures tell us that all have fallen short of the glory of God. We all have played the hypocrite. We all have had the, the yeast of the Pharisees in our life. And we need God to forgive us. And that's only done by the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ. And so, Jesus comes now to you passage, it's one of those it's kind of hard to understand sometimes. You kind of say, how does this fit in with everything else that I read in Scripture? It's one of those challenging places. Jesus says this, and everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. My whole life, that I've, I've heard the gospel preached, I've always heard, no matter what you've done, God can forgive you. Right? No matter how bad it is, Jesus died for that, and he can forgive you, and he'll forgive you. It's all about his forgiveness. I preach that myself. I say that all the time. God can forgive. But then I come to this passage, and Jesus has a but. But, the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. I remember one of the first times I was uh, teaching on this, this topic, um, I went to one of my mentors in, in ministry and I said, so, so what do you think about this whole you know, unpardonable sin, blaspheming the Holy Spirit thing? And he said, don't do it. <laughs> so that's good advice. So I pass it on to you. Don't do it. Um, but to not do it, we kind of need to understand what is it. What does it mean to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? Well, in studying this passage, um, I was researching with some of uh, my commentary friends and uh, came up with five different explanations that they offered um, on what this is talking about here. Um, and so that's why I say it's one of the, the hard things to understand because there's, certain, there's a certain level of ambiguity in Scripture on exactly what is this topic. exactly what is Jesus talking about here. Um, The first explanation that I found was Jesus is referring to the nation of Israel and that they can be forgiven of what they do to him in killing him, but uh, then if they don't respond to the Holy Spirit, then God will move on to the Gentiles, um, just as we see happen in the book of Acts. So I don't really go with this interpretation because I don't see it making sense in the context of the passage here um, of what Jesus is saying. Uh, The rest of what Jesus is saying here seems very timeless and applicable to all people um, all the time. And so I don't know why he would throw in one little sentence here um, that just somehow pertains to the nation of Israel um, and the people just in that moment at that time and not offer any kind of qualifier for that because he doesn't, he just throws it in there, right? So, I don't really take to that view, but um, some commentators that I trust and respect their love for the Lord and His Word um, say that, so I I present that to you. Um, Another one, another option number two is blaspheming the Holy Spirit is giving credit uh, for the things that He does to the devil, um, this interpretation uh, is based on going to Mark three twenty-eight through thirty, uh, where Jesus does say that. In the context there, that is what Jesus is saying, um, where the people he, he offers this warning warning about blaspheming the Holy Spirit um, because people are accusing him of being able to do what he is doing um, because of demons working in him, not because of the Holy Spirit. And so that's where he, what he's saying in that passage. Um, and so uh, to that end, I say, yes, that is part of it. Um, so do not do that. Um, don't, don't give uh, the devil credit for the things that God does. All right. That's, that's a good warning to us. Um, but still in the context here in what, what he's saying here in Luke, I don't see that um, holding up to the context of what it's saying. So let's look at number three. Number three is blaspheming the Holy Spirit as renouncing Jesus because of persecution. Okay, So this is going into um, those who um, can kill, kill the body. Um, so uh, it does kind of tie in with the context here. Um, so you, you reject the truth of, of the—you reject Jesus, you deny Jesus out of fear of man and looking out for self— Um, and so I kind of see that in the context here, um, but I don't really know that I can fully take this position um, because uh, Jesus says just before this that those who speak against him can be forgiven, Um, and so I don't really fully take that explanation as well. You see why this is a hard one to deal with? Because you have all these explanations, and you're like, well, I don't really see that that is right. Um, Number four Blaspheming the Holy Spirit um, is rejecting the preaching of the apostles, so rejecting the truth of the gospel, uh, focusing on fear of man, not the reality based on God. Um, I think this answer is getting warmer. I think we're getting closer um, to what Jesus is talking about. Um, but from my reading of the scripture, people aren't just given one opportunity to respond to the gospel, and then if they don't, then well they're eternally damned. No, like, I see that you constantly have opportunities uh, where the gospel is presented to respond to it, Um, so I don't think that was fully there, uh, which leads to number five, and and this is what I think this means. Um, blaspheming the Holy Spirit is consistently and persistently refusing to listen to his prompting to draw us to repentance. And that's the one of his primary jobs. That's one of the primary things the Holy Spirit does, is when we we hear the gospel preached, the Holy Spirit is the one who comes to us and he makes those words alive. He makes those words alive in our life and draws us to repentance and says, you need to turn from being the hypocrite. You need to turn from putting on the the face and, and doing all the things that are against God. And you need to turn in repentance to me. You need to give your life over to Christ. And that's the Holy Spirit's job. And so I think blaspheming the Holy Spirit means that you refuse Him His job, that you do not listen to Him, that you turn Him down in your life. And when you do that consistently over and over and over again in your life, then you will face judgment and you will not be forgiven. And let that be a warning to us all. And so... If you do feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit in your life to draw you to repentance, I encourage you to do that. Do not put it off. Do not delay Him. Do not say, no, not right now, maybe later. Because His timing is now. And what He wants to do in your life is now. And so... The hard part about that is, is the fact that you're saying no to the opinion of others and saying yes to God. But that goes back to, do we fear God or do we fear man? Which is it? Who do you care about their opinion? You see, fearing man is self-centered. It might even be this man that you're fearing not me but yourself. Where you're looking out for yourself, you're putting yourself number 1 and you're doing everything based on self. And that's what fear of man looks like. The God-fearing man or woman is Christ-centered. Self-centered, Christ-centered. The man-fearing man listens to himself. The God-fearing man listens to the Holy Spirit. The man-fearing man is looking to make himself well-known. The God-fearing man is looking to make Jesus famous. The man-fearing man has temporary rewards with eternal consequences. And the God-fearing man has eternal rewards in heaven with Jesus. So as we enter into a new year, and we think about, what do I want this year to look like in my life? Do you want this year to be shaped by fear of man or fear of God? In your daily life, in your actions, and how you live, do you want to be marked by and known by your looking out for self and the opinions of others? Or do you want to be known for and marked by a holy reverence for your creator who loves you enough to know the most intricate details of your life and to send his one and only son to die on a cross to pay the punishment for you. What do you want to mark you over this next year? Because when he gives us the Holy Spirit, he gives us a great power to be able to do great things and to bear witness to him. And that's where Jesus ends it today. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So as you look to this next year and you say, I want to be a God-fearing person. But you say, how do I do that? The key is, listening to the Holy Spirit, listening to his guidance, listen to his prompting and following him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gospel. We thank you for the good news of Jesus and that you didn't leave us in our hypocrisy, that you didn't leave us here just to um, play the game, to put on the face, um, to act the part, but that you sent your one and only Son To live, to show us how to live, to show us the perfect life lived, to die, and to raise again, defeating sin and death. I thank you for that gift. I thank you for that gift that you've given us. Lord, I pray that over this next year that we will commit to and hold to following you, that we'll listen to your spirit. that We won't focus on what others think of us and the opinions of others that will focus on you and what you have for us and what you would have us to do. And Lord, I pray all of this in the very holy and righteous name of Jesus Christ. Amen.